morning. So we are uh, going to continue in some ways and also begin in some other ways. Um, I can remember. There we are. Um, We're going to continue looking at the church in Ephesus through both the book of Acts and the book of Ephesians. But I want to take a break today to kind of explain uh, the theme uh, for the year for the church. And a lot of us that were at the Bible Talk Leaders Retreat yesterday were able to uh, hear some great lessons on vision for the year and dreaming for this year, uh, how we can be part of God's vision for the year. But also we talked a little bit about this theme uh, that we're going to see in the Ephesian church. Just a little bit of recap. Last week, we actually looked at Acts 18 and 19. Incredible stories about Priscilla and Aquila, two people who are not in the full-time ministry, not uh, on staff, but sharing their faith with a guy named Apollos. Uh, Apollos is open. This is the crucial aspect. Apollos is open to being wrong about his faith. He actually is eager to have the word of God explained to him more adequately. Uh, And then the Ephesian disciples in Acts 19, uh, they know God. They're actually disciples. It's amazing. They're disciples, but turns out they're missing some pretty big aspects of what it is to follow Jesus. They, in the same way, when Paul says, would you like to learn? They don't say, no, 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 we're disciples. We don't get out of my life. You don't, you don't talk to me about what I need to do. They don't do that. They say, no, we'd like to learn. And so we actually see that the word of God uh, finds great fertile soil in the hearts of those who are open to being wrong. The hearts of those who are willing to have it more explained more adequately to them. In summation, it's open to the humble. Uh, and so we talked about soft hearts and deep convictions. If you missed that sermon last week, it is a kind of a crucial one in terms of what the church in Ephesus looked like, the beginning the beginnings of this church in Ephesus because of Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos and Paul as, as well. But uh, we, today we're going to take a, a break from that. We'll get back on Ephesus next Sunday and we'll continue with the story because actually the, the church in Ephesus isn't quite done there because even though it has this great beginning, inevitably, you know, things happen. So there's going to be a couple incidents in the, in the city of Ephesus that, that are pretty interesting. But for now, the, the, the theme of the year is the fullness of Christ. Um, and we'll be looking at the book of Ephesians. The word fullness is an interesting word, but it has, it's this idea of this overflowing, uh, filled to capacity, the fullness of Christ. It's this idea that we never, ever uh, can learn everything about who Jesus is. That there's a fullness, both that we can continue to learn and get to know him in ways that we never thought we could, but also in ways that he can fill us up and make us full. And that's always the insecurity, right? Is like, are we enough? Are we, I don't know, like, are, are we falling short in some areas, whether personally or as a church? And then the, the challenge to, to the, in the book of Ephesians is actually, no, the, the body of Christ is the fullness of Christ. Right. You guys, in fact, are not just enough, but you are plan A. You've always been the primary option for God. It's, it's not, you know, God's like, all right, I'll take them. You know, it's, it's none of that. It's actually, no, that, that we are and have always been enough. Um, and that enoughness happens only in Christ. Um, and so we'll talk more about that uh, in a second. But the idea of the fullness of Christ kind of begs another question, um, which is, I think, this, this idea, and this is actually explained quite well by uh, a few people who, uh, who wrote a book about this idea of spiritual maturity. And they talk about one of the biggest problems in church is that you have people who kind of come to church and maybe they've gone through a Bible study series of some kind, like the one that we have, and they've, they've repented 
and they've received the Holy Spirit. They've received uh, salvation in a lot of ways. They've, they've come into the, the family of Christ, but they don't really know what to do next. And they kind of come and they sit in church with their born again card and they just kind of sit there like, what do I do now? And sadly, uh, I think in a lot of ways, we just we kind of stay there and then we just get into this um, sin management place for the rest of our lives. So let's just kind of manage and control our sin the best that we can. But uh, it's, it's said, I think, more aptly in this quote uh, from the book by Willard and Meyer and others says a lot of us are adequate at the repent and receive gospel that may give people a ticket to heaven, but it merely helps them manage their own sin until they see Jesus. As we studied the scriptures, we all felt that the gospel of the kingdom calls us to far more than that. Our hearts hungered for a more complete expression of the good news of Jesus. And it really can be kind of the biggest gotcha moment in a lot of our lives, not to anybody's, I don't think anybody's trying to do this, but we go through the scriptures, we look at this idea of commitment, deny yourself, carry your cross. You can't even love anything even close to Jesus, hate your mother, hate your father, hate your own life. Like you've got to, the priorities have to be so clear if you're going to become a disciple. Then we become a disciple, and then at some point in the walk, we kind of lose that discipleness. Now remember what the word disciple means. It means student. A student is somebody who wants to learn. Students, don't, students start school tomorrow, UVA, JMU. It would be really weird if they showed up and, and you know, Maya, Jamie goes, excuse me, professor, just, if you can just have a seat. I'm going to teach the class. She would then no longer be a student because she would say, I don't need this. But the second she sits down and pulls out pen and paper or laptop, she's actually subscribing. She's saying, listen, I want to learn. And I wonder for a lot of us, do we still have the heart to learn? And sometimes we just get in sin management mode and we can get like, I don't know, I, and we can actually just kind of end up being in a long, dry spells as Christians. And we can experience long, dry spells. We can, get, uh, we can become really susceptible to the uh, seasons of life. Yeah. If you meet a spiritually mature person, and I'm not talking about people that are old physically. I'm talking about spiritually mature people. Right. There is no correlation to that. Um, you can have somebody who's been a Christian 50 years but not be spiritually mature. But a spiritually mature person, when they go through the seasons of life, they have a great perspective on it. They're like, yeah, this, this, that kind of thing happens. I know that's been hard, but these things do happen. Um, but hey, we're going to love God. We're not going to give up. But with a young person or a spiritually immature person, it's like, oh my gosh, this guy, I just had this thing happen at school. I can't be a disciple anymore. This guy likes me. This girl wants to date me. I don't know what to do. I don't have any money. I have too much money. I have a sickness in the family. My marriage is on the rocks. I can't follow God. Like Things that happen in their life just derail them. They are just, they're just flying off the handle because they're not spiritually mature. There's not a stability there. And so we're going to talk a little bit this year about what it means to be spiritually mature. Now, I'm under no false pretense that come Christmas of this year, we'll all be spiritually mature. It's a, it is a process. It is a process that but I think the, the, the challenge is, are we willing to commit to that process together? And sometimes I think when we're not willing to commit to that process together, it becomes awkward because it's like, hey, man, I, I noticed that you, you know, haven't been uh, coming around to church so much. And, and it's awkward because, like, are we on the same page of commitment? Or, hey, I noticed that, you know, you've been frustrated or angry. Or, hey, I noticed you posted on social media a lot, kind of this kind of spewing some venom, right, towards some certain folks. Are you doing OK? How do you feel about that? What do you think about that? Hey, that's none of your business. When we begin to kind of isolate each other and detach, I think, is when it becomes vastly difficult to actually mature the way we should. Well, we're going to look at three ways to, to really go about maturity, and they all actually intertwine quite nicely. Uh, and, and the first thing 
the first way we're going to go about this this year is our personal walk with God. Our personal walk with God. Hop over to 1 Timothy. We're going to start here. We're going to meander our way to Ephesians. We'll get there. It's a process, right? 1 Timothy 4. One of my favorite passages because it's a lot of things that I like. Um, you know, I love, I love the idea of, of discipline. I love discipline. Um, not many people do, um, but I pay. Hey, I like it. I, I don't know. I, discipline makes sense to me. Um, discipline has uh, shown, borne lots of fruit in my life. Um, I learned a lot of discipline playing, uh, playing football, uh, learning to say yes, sir, no, sir, learning to that if one person on the team messes up, everybody runs, you know, learning that if one person cheats on their set and waits, everybody runs, uh, learning that if even one, even on my team, if one person cussed, we all ran. Um, and so it was, uh, you learned, you, I learned a lot in that, in those times, discipline physically can make a lot of sense to us. But sometimes when we approach God, we're a little annoyed by the idea that we have to actually put some effort into this. Well, hold on. You're telling me I got to do what? I have to put effort? That doesn't seem to make sense. This is kind of a grace thing. Uh, God should just kind of come into my life and, 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 and bless me and bless me and bless me and bless me and bless me, uh, you know, because, you know, there's nothing I can do to earn salvation. So and sometimes with effort, we can, we can be a little weird with effort in that idea. But effort in every other aspect of life makes sense. You know, any of you in med school where the professor's like, okay, no effort here. Just no, everything that we do, especially things of value, demand great effort. And no one questions it because they're, they're endeavors of great value. And so it has to be the same with God. And in 1 Timothy 4, verse 15, it says, be diligent in these matters. This is Paul talking to Timothy, a young man who's leading a church where? He's leading the Ephesian church. Paul says to Timothy, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. The ESV says, commit to them so that everyone may see your progress. Whoa. Interesting. Be diligent. Commit yourself. Why? So that everyone can see your progress. When Jenny and I uh, moved here to lead the church, the guy, uh, who in a lot of ways, has been a spiritual father to me, um, Ed Anton. He said, you ready to be in the fishbowl? Uh, and I was like, yeah, you know, and there's this part of that that you're kind of like, you don't really know what that means. But, you know, your whole life is kind of open to, right, speculation and opinion. But uh, there's a part of it where he goes, the fishbowl is not so bad, actually, because the fishbowl allows everyone to see your progress. Um, when you actually let people into your life on purpose, and maybe in my position, it's sort of, I have no choice in some ways. Yeah. But people see your life, they go, man, you've, uh, and people say this a lot to me, which I think is a compliment, but probably not. But you've grown so much, right? <laughs> The you've grown so much compliment um, does happen quite a bit. And I, I always try to see it in the best light, of course. But, but you know, you've grown so much sort of uh, implies that at some point I wasn't so grown. But uh, I, I think that, that that's not so untrue. Um, but there is something in this idea of diligence, commitment. You got to really, you got to be diligent, A, so don't give up. You got to commit yourself. Give it a whole, give it a holy. Why? So that everyone can see your progress. And progress implies that at some point you weren't so strong in this area. And so even in this idea, it's got to begin, maturity as a church has to begin with the personal walk. Because personal walk is your own personal discipline with your relationship with God. It's you getting up tomorrow to pray. And having goals. You've got to have goals. Set up these goals, commitments, diligence to be able to to, to pray. uh, Pray this week. Maybe your goal is I want to pray. I want to have three prayer walks and I want to pray with my wife four times. And let's say at the end of the week, you're, you know, you only did one or two of those things. The great thing about this isn't like 
you failed, you blew it, now just give up. Is no, let everyone see your progress. So tell people, hey, I blew it this week in prayer. I messed up. I only got one out of four. But hey, next week, progress. I'm going to go for two, then three, and then four. There's a, and then, you know, what's cool about that is it actually doesn't build this culture of uh, accomplishment. It builds a culture of honesty and vulnerability. Yeah. Like, hey, I've blown it this week in my evangelism. Right. Why are you telling me? Oh, because I want you to hold me accountable this week when I'm going to give it another shot. Oh, okay, I can pray for that. Awesome, sweet. So there is something that begins in our prayer walk of vulnerability, of prayer, of Bible study, of something I'm learning. Something that was said yesterday by Tasha Archer, which was so encouraging. She said, if you're not getting the discipling that you want, or you're not getting the discipling that you, th- you think you need in a church, it is your fault. Yeah. Because discipling is on you. Yeah. So let's get coffee and let me ask you for help. Remember, if we're disciples, we're still students. And asking people for help is a big part of that. And it begins actually by asking God for help. We go to God in prayer. God, help me in this prayer. God, help me to be diligent in prayer. God, help me to be able to forgive that person today. Uh, proactive prayer, getting up. The, we cannot be Christians in public if we are not Christians in private. Yeah. And sometimes I think we get it backwards and, we, and, we, and then we wonder why we have no real foundation. But a private life, and sometimes you won't even have uh, secrets with God. It's awesome to have secrets. Secrets build intimacy. Yeah. Like, uh, you ever been on the outside of an inside joke? Right. And you're like, you know, I don't know what's going on here. But if you're on the inside of an inside joke, you're like, I know what they're talking about. There's intimacy in an inside joke. It's like, oh, we both know what we're talking about. This actually has some value, some meaning. And it's actually okay to have some inside jokes with God. Don't tell anybody what you did. Now, let everyone see your progress, but sometimes it's nice to say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. and pray, and I ain't going to tell nobody. It's just between me and God. A little special moment you have. Now, we can't go all the way one way or all the way the other, but I do think there's value in in relationship with God that is just between us and him, and also a value in letting everyone see your progress. The next verse here is sort of interesting as well. I like to look at this verse because it is sort of a mind-blowing verse. Verse 16 says, your, watch your life and doctrine closely because if you do, uh, persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. And I love the, uh, the words in, in these two verses. Diligence, commitment, progress, perseverance. And then what? Salvation. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, hold on. What does that mean? Well, it means that if we actually are not people of integrity, if we are not keeping a close watch on our own personal walk with God, because that fuels, that, that's our walk, it's our life, it's also our doctrine. It fuels what we believe. Right. If we don't keep a close watch on that, we could actually condemn those around us. Yeah. Our wives, our husbands, our kids right. could be only just on their way to hell all the quicker because we have not given this our whole effort. Um, and it's a scary thought because we can think, well, it's, just, it's their decision, not mine. Yes, it is their decision, but we have an impact on them and we can't, we can't spurn that opportunity to be able to to, to actually be the gospel to people. And so as you can see, personal walk is inextricably connected to something else, which is the second thing we're going to go about this year, which is fellowship, Amen. which is fellowship. Um, one of the things that's awesome about the personal walk is it actually allows you to have deep fellowship. Someone comes up to you in church and says, hey, you know, the weather's crazy. And you're like, yeah, um, it's sort of just kind of bound to be you know, mostly shallow. Uh, you know, unless you can somehow segue, like, oh, the weather reminds me of my own spiritual walk. And um, maybe you can segue somehow. Maybe you're better at that, at that than me. But if you actually begin and go up to somebody and say, I'm actually, I've, it's the new year, and I've been going after 
confession more. And it's been so, I've, I've been learning this and learning that, and I've been struggling with this and struggling with that. What do you find that helps you with confession? I mean, it's just, it's a whole different conversation. And the person can say, actually, I don't confess ever. That's kind of a nice thought. I should probably do that. Or they could think, you know what? I've seen growth in this area in my life as well. Maturity doesn't just happen alone. Maturity happens in relationship with each other. As I see brothers, as, you, as I see you guys strive to please God, that is inspiring to me. Now, I was walking by here uh, before, uh, no, it was during church, I'd go, I went to the bathroom, and I walked by and I heard the kids singing, and I heard uh, Rob Taylor and Brennan leading the kids. And I was just like, that is so cool. That, I, don't, I wanted to go in there and just be part of it. It sounded so fun. Uh, and I just thought, that's, and that, the little moment was inspiring to me. And I was like, man, when other people are serving God, it's inspiring, and maybe not in a direct way, but in an indirect way, in a wholesome way, it actually helps us to be able to have fellowship with one another. And so all these three areas, by the way, are not uh, independent of each other. It's not like I'm just going to go after number one and forget two and three. They all relate to each other. Right. And we got to have goals. But the thing is about goals is goals are not the be all end all for maturity. Right. Goals help because you and I are weak in our natural selves. Yeah. Um, we need goals. Yeah. Um, if, you know, we need boundaries in life. Any parent knows a kid actually is safer and happier when they are aware of the boundaries. I was a teacher for a while. The kids in your class are more obedient and actually better students when they're aware of clear boundaries. Yeah. When the boundaries are fuzzy and they get punished, they're very angry yeah. because they don't understand the boundary. They don't get it. And so, of course, they would get angry. And so we got to be able to have healthy uh, boundaries in that sense. But here's the thing, I think, with fellowship is I think with fellowship, it's hard because we can think that we come to these things um, and we almost can implicitly treat it like, uh, as one preacher put it, a, a grocery store. Uh, or, a, um, you know, that when you go to a grocery store and you know, um, you know the grocer, and you, maybe you're friends with the grocer, you buy the groceries. But after a while, if the groceries are not good anymore, what do you do? You stop going to the grocery store. You may be best friends with the grocer, but hey, your product stinks, so I'm not going to go. And sometimes church can kind of be groceries. Yeah. It can be like, well, I'm going, but if the product ain't good anymore, I'll go somewhere else. Yeah. The people aren't nice, the sermon's not good, the singing's not what I want. And we can kind of commodify this whole experience, the consumer relationship. And so instead of being about the people, instead of going to PTP Devo because you love the people, yeah. you find yourself not going because, well, I don't really like it. Mm-hmm. Right? But instead of going, actually, what happens at PTP Devo is mostly of no importance. I mean, it really isn't. I mean, hey, yeah, sure, we want to do our very best for Christ. We want to grow. You know, being at YoPro Devo or even a Young Family Devo or Campus Devo it's like Campus Devo does some weird stuff. They like blend uh, sardines and put mustard on it and eat it. And then they're like, that was a blast. And I'm like, that was horrifying. That was awful. You know, or maybe you're, in a, maybe you're in a ministry with all sisters, right? Campus sometimes, all the sisters want to go, we're having a movie night. What, I don't, you know, we're watching. We're going to watch some movie that I don't want to watch. I'm just going to accept that for the most part. Uh, but hey, listen, I'm not going. But when, you, when, you, when you're in a relationship, uh, a, a body that's based on relationships and not the product, you go, you, you go because you, you want to be with the people. Right. And you don't care so much what happens. But that's actually the sign of a healthy, mature church is relationship-based, not product-based. I'm just going to find a church that has the right product or a right small group that has the right product that I desire. Right. And so one of the things that's, that's really challenging about this as well is God created us to be social people. You know, John Locke said, man is a social animal. Like, we, we are tr- we're, we're social people. And the last decade, one of the things that... Uh, people, a lot of sociologists have noticed is that we are more connected than ever in our country, in our world, but we are also more depressed than ever and more lonely than ever. And the reality is, is that we're connected, but we're not deeply connected. Yeah. Right. 
and we had a couple surveys at the end of last year, and people shared, a lot of people in the church, that at the church events, it's great, but then outside church events, there's not deep connection. There's not deep friendship outside of events. And, and, and one of the things that, that I think God created the, one of the things, uh, I have a note here from a, a couple psychologists who talk about, uh, from a scientific perspective, God designed the emotional centers of the human brain to work in what are called open loops. A closed-loop system, such as the circulatory system, is self-regulating. Uh, that's why uh, what's happening to the circulatory system of Carla Gaines does not affect me, right? It's a closed system. But the emotional system does not work that way. It is an open-loop system that depends largely on external experiences. This is why actions will always trump words. This is why if every morning I wake up and my wife said, I love you, and then she slapped me. And after a week of that, people ask me, how's your marriage? I say, you know what? She says, I love you every day. Pretty good. I probably would not say that. I'd probably say, it is bad. It is like assault bad. Um, Because obviously the action speaks louder than the word. And sometimes people come into church and we can say the right things. We can talk about forgiveness and talk about love and talk about unity and talk about friendship. But what do they experience? When they walk through that door, and that's going to speak a lot louder to somebody than words. Once again, that's just maturity. We, anyone can make a really great event, right? We're going to talk. We're going to have a great program. And we're going to talk about this and go through this book and read this together. But if there's not a culture of grace, a culture of trust, a culture of friendship, a culture of love, you know, people are only going to really take away what the environment is telling them. And that's another signal of, of maturity. Now, we can, only really share, uh, we can only really share grace with one another if we have that grace ourselves. And so one of the beautiful things about the personal walk is I do, I do think the personal walk, a great personal walk, does inform the fellowship. Um, because in some ways, it, it anchors you. Um, it anchors you from the inevitable slings and arrows of life. Like, if you have a great personal walk, if you get up this morning and had a great time with God... And you walked in and somebody maybe snubbed you. Maybe they weren't trying to. Maybe they were late for children's ministry. And you said hi. And they're just like, they kept walking. And you're like, oh, I knew this place was full of hypocrites. And then you left. You probably weren't on great, like, personal walk with God's soil. You probably were, like, teetering, like, on, you know, the last straw, like, breaks the camel's back, right? But if you come in, like, I had a great time with God, you're actually able to say, they probably didn't hear me. They're probably busy. They're probably on their way somewhere. We're going to find somebody else to love up on. Here we go. And so you can actually see that. Love, and one of the points that is made is we hear the, we hear the, uh, the scripture that says, love one another and they'll, the world will know you're my disciples. When you hear that, we usually think, oh, I got to go love some people. What you usually don't think is I need some love. And that is actually just as crucial to a culture of love. But we're really bad at it. It's the same reason why church leaders who lead, the, lead churches for 30 years and who give, 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 love, 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 love have an affair and fall away and no longer are Christians. And you go, how'd that happen? It's out of nowhere. It's out of left field. It wasn't out of nowhere. They had not ever let themselves be loved. And they weren't good at saying, help me out. I am struggling. I, or I just need a friend or I just need to hang out. I need to play spades with Nancy. Okay. I just need some time. Right. This is actually a great experience, by the way. Um, but a part of building that culture is not just us saying, I got to love, love, love this guy more. I got to love this girl more. I got to love this brother more. But actually us saying, I need to open myself up to getting some help more. And maybe not help. I need to open myself up to just talking. I need to talk about 
how I'm feeling, what I'm doing, what I'm going through in life. Life is hard right now. If we're not opening ourselves up, we're not creating a give and take of love. It's just the one way. And that is just as risky as anything else. The last thing is uh, mission. And I don't want to say evangelism here because I think mission involves evangelism, but it also involves the mission to the poor. And I think sometimes that can get lost in what we do as a church. We can say evangelism is, is kind of our goal. It's kind of the point. We've got to go out there and share our faith. But then we walk by people uh, that are deeply needing a warm connection. Yeah. And sometimes I think we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves um, to go out and take somebody from the dominion of darkness um, and, and bring them into, into God's family. And the reality is, is that we are equipped to do that, but only because we have Jesus. And the only reason we're able to bring somebody into the family of Jesus and then be inspired is because Jesus is informing the culture. And the culture then is based on grace. And so sometimes I think we can be intimidated. What do I do with this person? But the reality is I have a little fire there on the right side. Sometimes it looks like a Bible study there on the left, but the fire on the right is just we want to really lean in this year as a church on warm contact with people, warm connections. And you hear sometimes the words cold contact evangelism, like I'm going to walk up to this person, a stranger, and I'm going to share my faith. That's an incredible thing. There are people in this room who are Christians today because of cold contact. The reality is, too, though, that I think sometimes we're kind of trained in that way, but we don't really know how to build long-term relationships with somebody and a relationship where you're actually trying to share the gospel with them throughout the relationship. And then we begin to think differently. We go, man, this person really doesn't like Jesus. They're going to be a two-year conversion. I'm going to work on them. We're going to get there. This person's a five-year conversion. This person's a six-month conversion. This person's going to be a one-week conversion. But the way we think about people is, I'm just going to love. We cannot make people love Jesus. That is a, uh, the job of the Holy Spirit. We cannot make somebody repent. We cannot make somebody change. That is the Holy Spirit working on their heart. All we can do, that Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love All we can do is to love people and share with them our lives. The the things that the early church did was they went around. You know how they shared their faith? Often it was they shared their story. It was just, I was once, like the woman, right? They are asking her all these questions. um, And she goes, I don't don't know. I can't answer all your questions. The Samaritan at the, the well, the woman at the well. She goes, I can't answer all your questions. All I know is this guy told me everything about my life. And now my life's different. That's all I can say. And sharing your story with people. It's funny, I love, I love telling people that the, the personal Bible studies that we did changed my life. Just telling people that and, and why and what it did to me and how it helped me. And you don't have to have all the answers, but you have an incredible, unique, powerful story. Just tell people your story. Let God do the rest. He's, he's God. He's better at it than you. Let him do it. And this idea of mission is even bringing, doing it together, bringing in the poor, loving the marginalized, people who are on the fringes of society. And even this is kind of a scary idea, but that is even our job as Christians to oppose institutional marginalization, institutional evil. And we can only do that. That is so intimidating to think about. We're going to take on the institutional evil of, you know, the West or the U.S. or Charlottesville or whatever. We can only do that if we are having great times with Jesus. And we can only do it if we have a culture of love and grace. And you might be thinking, "How, how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we do it? You know, uh, one thing we got to know, I'm just going to warn you now, spoiler alert, it's going to be painful. Yeah. It's going to require effort. It's going to require you to get up before work or stay up a little later to lose some sleep, to have that time with God yeah. or to get with that brother at 11 p.m. because that's the only time he has, but he's hurting right now. Yeah. And he just wants some love. And if, if you can give it to him, then amen, I lose two hours of sleep. That's fine. We'll do it. Paul says in Galatians 4.19, Paul says, I am constantly 
in the pains of child labor until Christ is formed in you. Now, how he was able to make that comparison, I think maybe it was just a, sort of a, maybe one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but maybe some people are like, I don't think he knows about the pains of childbearing. But what Paul is saying is it's a, it is a painful process, which is why it has to be based on grace. People will only continue to allow you into their life if it's a relationship of grace. Maybe they struggle with purity for years, but you're there to say we're not giving up. Progress, diligence, commitment. How can I help? How can I pray for you? What can I do? We're not leaving, bro. We're not leaving, sis. We're here. This is a, whole, this is a goal for the rest of our lives. Let's close out with Ephesians chapter one and then we'll, uh, we will be finished here. Ephesians chapter one. The, the way we're able to do this, we, because the only way that we can usually do things as people is we have to model it after something. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is that when we have a personal walk with him, it constantly reminds us of how he reached out to us. And the last thing that Jesus ever did was treat you as a product or as a commodity or as something to be gained, to give him, um, to, to be gained in his own self-interest. And in Colossians 1, sorry, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1.15, the author writes, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That is the goal this year, that we can know Jesus better. I just want to know him better. And that there is no end to that. And in chapter two, verse one, the author goes on, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, craving, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in sin. It is by grace you have been saved. Can I get an amen to that? It is by grace you have been saved. And I don't know about you, but I need to hear that every morning. And I don't need to just hear it. I need to feel it every morning. I need to know it every morning. It is only then that we're able to reconcile the, the, the truth that you are deserving of wrath. God's wrath is basically his punishment. You deserve God's full punishment for what you've done in your life and who you've been. Yeah. But God, who is rich in mercy, the great love which, with which he lavished upon us, lavished, right, fullness, he's lavished on you. He has made you alive and it is not because of what you've done, but it is by his grace. And verse eight, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. But we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I am so much more inspired to do works for Jesus when I am founded in his grace. I am, when I go to the gym and I think I got I to evangelize because I got to do that. I'm a good person. And I want to be a good person. That doesn't really go very far. 
But if I start the morning off with God, I deserve death because of my, my sin, my addiction to sexual impurity, right? My pride, my arrogance, my, everything I did, my gossip, how I treated women, how I joked, my coarse joking, how I looked down on people. I hated people. I was prejudiced. Someone loved me and still loves me. And I still have a lot of sin now, maybe more now than I did back then, just you know, less easy to see. And someone still loves me now, and I'm at the gym. There's an excitement to be able to be warm to somebody. Hey, man, how's your day? And they're probably going to be angry. And they may not show it, but most of the world is making people angry. And they're going to be suspicious of you. And they're going to think, what's your angle? What are you after? What do you want? And the only thing that will trounce that is love, grace, commitment, and a culture that is built on those things. Perhaps said best in this, uh, one of my favorite uh, hymns, perhaps said best, is love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And this year, hopefully we can be able to know God's love that is so amazing and be able to give freely our soul, our life, our all. Amen. And to God be the glory. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Seth Mitchell. And if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, you can go to blueridge.church or join us at Burnley Moran Elementary School at 7 p.m. Wednesdays or 10.30 a.m. Sundays in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.